Hello and welcome to another edition of the Showgame podcast. Uh, I'm Sean Colfer and I'm joined by David Price, also of the Showgame. Yeah, hi Sean, how's it going? I am not too bad, thank you. DP, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, we had a bit of a strange day with the new restrictions announced for London. But uh, yeah, everything else fine, like still privileged to be working and, and here talking to you now. It's great. Yeah, so we're recording this on Thursday 15th. It's been a little while since we've uh, recorded uh, any podcast or put anything out, mm. which is my fault. Um, I moved house during lockdown and turns out moving house is uh, quite quite stressful. So the first thing to talk about, I suppose, this is a, an Ultimate Frisbee podcast. Um, have you been playing any Ultimate Frisbee? What's happening in, in, in your Ultimate Frisbee world? Uh, I have not played Frisbee in months i think the last thing i had was a deep space training in like february like just before the, the national lockdown came wow. in uh, but now obviously we're in phase c officially and i've been coaching sick for the last like month or so uh, but i didn't really want to do too much and like didn't want to mix like groups i wasn't sure if that was like in the spirit of, of, of uh, phase c and b at the time um so i haven't been playing with deep space and uh, i mean obviously they're all okay with that so actually, yeah, I haven't actually played. I've been doing, as I say, a bit of coaching. And now that the students are back, they're talking about like maybe coaching, but I'm a bit apprehensive there as well. I guess that's it, really. Coaching sick has been my only Frisbee for the last uh, month or so. Well, I mean, not playing since February. Obviously, most people prior to the last few weeks haven't been playing since February. I know I played second weekend in March, and then my first training session back was uh, this Saturday. And it, I felt shockingly good. You know, physically, I thought <laughs> I was going to have some issues. Uh, my back was going to hurt. My hamstrings were going to wake, all that kind of stuff. But uh, actually, nothing. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Even made a layout catch and was able to get up without medical assistance. So oh. o- overall, huge, roaring success, I think. But um, as you say, we're, we're in a point now where it's phase C, uh, which is you are allowed to train and do uh, games within your squad, but no one's allowed to. There's no stall count. So the stall count comes on the sideline. You're not allowed to be within two meters on the on the on the four so you have to be far further away than usual so the d honestly was terrible but that's kind of to be expected when there's no real pressure i know deep space is still in phase b because they just thought being more conservative was um was the thing to do how sick feeling about things are they playing similar kind of games to what we were playing at herd up till about last weekend we were the similar to deep space like we weren't re- don't no one was really ready to move out of the phase b sort of mindset but last weekend actually we had a, a few more numbers and like we were we decided we wanted to do a session that was kind of around um, zone offense but like you say no like direct forcing and after about half of the session we realized that like this was feeling more and more like a real session and then we asked the players like okay we were going to do like a modified game you know with no forcing and stuff like that but how do you feel about playing a proper game still with the sideline forcing and they were like they were all happy with that and they loved it and it was just it was really nice actually like to see this group of players who have been you know going through hard times of their own but just like playing you know almost ultimate after such a long time I mean you were there on the common like it was a lovely day it was very autumnal and like it was perfect frisbee weather Uh, so it's just a nice experience for me as a coach but also just a bit as a player like to see frisbee being played again I suppose it's one of those things I know I like frisbee but then I started playing again at the weekend and you forget how much you miss running around mm. throwing it about doing things that have been second nature for i mean when did we start playing 14 years ago so it's uh it's been a long time and yeah getting back into it was lovely really really enjoyed it so i know for a herd we'll be doing it every other week i think is the plan at the moment and it's surprising how quick you get into the the routine the new routine so it's changing the frisbee after every point 
and making sure all the discs are wiped down with cleaning solution and not standing too close to each other and all that kind of stuff. About half an hour into the session, didn't really have to think about it too much anymore. It's surprising how quickly you get into those new rhythms, isn't it? Oh yeah, totally. And I think that like doing that during phase B it helped as well as well. Like all the players now and coaches are like used to that that separation and if they're shouting putting their masks on or you know if they're on the sidelines spreading out I think everyone is you know in fairly good practice and I think we've talked about this before like between you and I and and to many other people that like the ultimate community tends to be a bit more on top of things in, in certain ways like wokeness you could argue and so like things like you know doing the right thing during a global pandemic i think i would trust the majority of ultimate players to to stick to the protocol and, and do the right thing yeah agreed i think i think you're right the community we're in is the kind of community that is going to follow those rules pretty pretty well talking about those rules and um, we've talked about phase b and phase c so um for those who, who aren't aware phase b just throwing basically throwing between each other but you could at least throw between people with different households and phase c as i said earlier is a bit more game action phase d is being able to play games similarly restrained so forcing and not being too close to each other and all that kind of stuff but with people from other teams uh, and now brixton sent an email out to britdisc this week that they're in phase d and they they want to schedule some friendlies um, I don't know what are your feelings about potentially moving to phase D, setting aside any changes to what might happen because of the restrictions you mentioned in London. It's a tough one. Like, I mean, the restrictions, I think, in London uh, still allow for it because it's an organised sport outdoors. So right. I think that's still within the those restrictions. So even ignoring that, I think there's it's a tricky one because you need to... I think the thing I most struggle with in all the teams I'm involved with at the minute is that you have to make sure everyone's okay with whatever they're doing, right? So you have to go away, like ask the team, like, okay, you know, can we actually field enough people? Or are there enough people to actually play these sort of games? And even if you are, like, you know, where are you going to do it? You know, minimum 14 players. You can't do it indoors. You've got to do it outdoors. You know, is there actually some space to do it? We're talking about common space. You're now worrying about the public getting involved. And now as there are you know, more restrictions, people are probably more likely to be going outside because they can't do stuff indoors. So I don't know, like there's a lot to factor in. Um, and is it too soon? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a lot. there's a lot going around, uh, at least in my head. And I mean, personally, I'd love to play again. And uh, once any sick sort of stuff stops, I probably will think about it. But I'm not sure what any of my teams would, would think about it. I know it's being discussed, particularly in sick at the minute anyway. Yeah, as you say, it's tough one. I think it's one of those things where people are going to need to assess that risk for themselves. And you can't really pressure people into doing it. I think it's a case of who wants to play. If you've got enough, maybe you give it a go. But uh, it's after three B or C training sessions, technically you are allowed to move into phase D. So at Heard, mm. we're one session away from being able to move into phase D. Um, I think other teams have had two or three sessions, so they're ready to go in there. Brixton clearly being one of them. I think, we're, yeah, you're right. There's a few teams there. But maybe the format should be more like, I guess it is per team, right? And that's the problem. We've been stuck in these teams. But maybe eventually the format is more like a, a hat tournament and you just bring together those people that have gone through those two phases that are happy to play. And at that point, you may as well mix them, right? So you may, there's no point keeping them in their teams, really, unless that's part of the restrictions. I don't know. No, I don't think so because people in—I mean, people on my team, most of them are not in my household, so I, there's not really yeah. a difference between people on your team and people on another team. So even if like you've got enough phase D people, shall we say, mm. maybe it'd be could, a more of a hat tournament format could be, you know, at least to get people out there if they are happy with that risk, then why not, right? I think it's a good segue into. Um, another thing we we're going to talk about in terms of where do we think tournaments are going to go from here I think clearly more local scrimmages are going to be easier and certainly more manageable for the, for the foreseeable future but something like a local hat tournament something like we had in London uh, mm. last winter with the uh, the tournament that was organised on Clapham Common whereas hat teams 
every week for six weeks or something like that was it so things like yeah. that are definitely a thing that could get people back into frisbee a little bit yeah i agree like something yeah something more local is definitely looks looks more feasible to me um than at least like you're you know within the local restrictions that both the government and uku are trying to impose i was even thinking like does the sport as a whole need to change like not just the idea of a, of a tournament format which i already think is now both a bit outdated and maybe won't work within the sort of pandemic world but like maybe we need to have just less players so that like there's less of these sort of risks around um, infections of other things like why you know this is this might not be the first pandemic we go through right and if we want to continue playing a, a team sport in any format will that continue working i don't i don't know it's like a bit of an open question i'd say so you're saying fewer players at tournaments i.e maybe yeah. all more local means that you're going to lessen the risk of anything you know any transmissions yeah potentially and I, i'm not saying i have that's the answer to it uh, but definitely i definitely agree with you that like initially like making games local and even just like one-off matches even would be the way to go and, and then it, you know that leans itself more towards a league format right where you know there's like a home and away and people have like venues that are you know covid secure should we say that would be the, I, that, to me that's the obvious first step but maybe a longer term step is a changing of the sport itself and i suppose that gets into the question about where we see tournaments happening next i mean at this point obviously it's october we've been living with this fire for over six months at this point so you're looking at things like mixed season next year is usually march ish to may ish i mean is, is that under question do we think that's going to happen how's frisbee going to look next year it's all very up in the air so certainly new thinking new ideas might be needed yeah and i think i mean i think this is something we might get to later that like there's so much preparation that goes into a season right initial trials train winter trainings for a start i don't think we're going to get any of the winter stuff trials are normally like either december january feb that's looking very unlikely. Even like getting to that point, if that's unlikely, I don't even. How do we even know what the first half of next year is is going to be like? And like we've just gone through an AGM with Deep Space, and we've got one coming up with Sick. These questions are coming up from the players and like the people that are leading these clubs. They have no idea, right? It's all dependent on things that we don't control. So it's a real just the idea of planning for these things is insane. All right, so um, moving off that really optimistic front off. <laughs> <laughs> we just um, we just saw the UKU finish their fundraising drive on mm-hmm. online. It was good to see so many people donate to that and so many people contribute. And the uh, the page was some really nice comments about the sport has given them so much and they want to give something back. Um, just any thoughts on on that? What did, what did you think of the um, the drive and, and the fact that we're now at UKU? Hopefully, for now, we'll be in a pretty secure financial position going forward. Many of our listeners will know how much like how much passion we have for the sport. Obviously, not just playing, but doing what we did starting the show game. That we would fully support something like this. Like we want there to be a sport that we can come back to whenever we can. You know, play properly. Mm-hmm. And the need for a federation is super important around not just there being like the sport, but like coaching, getting into schools, getting into universities, having you know good structure of competition. Um, and like even the bigger things like having a, an elite level as well as that development focus. Obviously, we know that they've had to scale back over the over the pit, the pandemic period. Um, and so this sort of, you know, funding drive was was definitely necessary. And, I'm, and I think it's interesting as well to hear the other side. Like if you I mean, I'm sure many of you will have seen on Reddit that um, some people wanted to know more about like where's this money going and like why should we fund the UK? And these are good questions um, that I'm sure Sai uh, would love to answer. And, and I'm sure... He will answer because I think from my perspective, at least I've always found Sai and the UKU in general to mostly be transparent 
And when you do ask them the questions, they can give you the, the answers. So I think it's great. And, I, and like you say, like all those stories of like how Ultima has, you know, guided people and brought them together, brought their families together. I think it's great. And it's part of the reason that, again, that we said about earlier, it's part of the reason we, we play Ultimate and that we, we have that passion that it's the community and the Federation is, for me at least, is, a, is kind of a part of that. Yeah, I agree. I think they do a really, a really good job. Obviously, you know, there's always things that um, that you can point at and say maybe we can do this differently, maybe we can do this better. But overall, I think they do a really good job, and they've they've been doing a really good job for a long time. Um, and agree, agree in terms of transparency. You know, I talk to Sai uh, every now and again, and obviously he did a edition of this podcast, and he's he's already said he's happy to come back and do another one at some point soon. So I'm sure any questions that people do have about the the fundraising stuff, let us know, and we'll be able to put them to sign we can get some answers and uh, i'm confident confident it will be all good stuff so the next thing we were going to talk about here is i don't know what you've been doing during lockdown i know i've um i bought a bike i'm a cyclist now legend so i cycled to brighton that was um a baptism of fire i bought some disc golf discs because uh that's all every frisbee player seemed to do over lockdown heathen heathen Yeah, they're they're weird things, but uh, I enjoyed Ooh. my I enjoyed my round, and I'm looking forward to going out again. What about you? Have you taken anything up? Started anything new? Um, well, definitely doing more in the home. Like I started doing more yoga. Everyone knows about Adrienne uh, yoga on on YouTube, so I did a bit of that early on. And we but we've kind of stopped doing that. Definitely been cycling, but I was already a cyclist mm-hmm. beforehand, so I know the joys of of cycling already. And it's been really it was really interesting actually to you know be back on the roads during lockdown and even now there are way more cyclists and like way more people out there which i think is awesome um i, I was always a cl- already a climber but uh, the, luckily the gyms opened back up about a month ago so that's been pretty cool to get back into that but it looks like that might taper off towards the end of the year due to the government restrictions but yeah i mean it was it's been interesting like i was actually thinking about this today like that I saw you for the first time last Saturday with your new bike and we were talking about it. And then, and then, and I thought about it some more today and I was like, do you know what? That's probably the first time I've seen you in 2020. And previous to that, I would have seen you at Chef Beginners like every year or, you know, a couple times a year. And we've like, we've been friends, like you said, for like 14 years. And I've probably seen you some over that 14 years as much as I see some of my family members, but yet not to see you in October. It was so, for me, that was such a like, revelation to my to my mind to be like and then so much has changed in like your life it's a very like that's for me some of the weirdest things i've seen is like being like oh i i remember this person i've seen them but i haven't seen them for so long and so much has changed yeah definitely get that it's definitely happened a few times where i've seen someone and they're like oh the last time we talked was yeah it was last year it is a strange thing oh darts i got into darts darts yeah no joke my uh my girlfriend is like in a duck in a women's darts team and so to make sure she was like you know still playing we were like well let's get a dartboard yeah so let's get a dartboard and then we were playing people over like house party or zoom or whatever because they've got a dartboard as well and it's like quite a nice little social thing to just keep you going it's quite fun like i mean it's still throwing stuff and i'm not terrible like i had my biggest my highest checkout has been 138 that's that's very big yeah i was pretty happy with that when we were at uni i lived with um with three other lads and they that we all bought well we they all bought a dartboard, and I did not care about darts. I'm bad at darts, quite quite bad at <laughs> darts. And they all bought their own set. And when we used to play, 
they would make me use one of each of their darts because they didn't, Amazing. Want, me, they didn't want me to have an advantage. They didn't want me to learn what one set of darts was like. So I, I had to throw it. three different weights of dart, which <laughs> for an already bad player made me even worse. So I'm not a darts guy. But I'm, listen, darts is a fun game, I suppose. It's nice that you yeah. Nice you give it a go. I'm not going to Flight Club with you next time if all that stuff opens, then you absolutely kill me. <laughs> well, maybe, but I think part of it as well is the drinking. Like, yeah. I think we were drinking as well, and it was like just to, to make an essence of the pub <laughs> in, your, in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, an old man pub with a dartboard. Lovely. So now we're going to go into a, a part of the podcast we're calling the ISO. So it's uh, each of us gets to discuss one topic they want to talk about. So uh, do you want to go first? We referenced this earlier, but yours is about the general ultimate season. Yeah, like Sean says, my section here is about like the ultimate season being too busy or, or like should we change it somehow? And the reason I bring this up, and it may be for those that have maybe listened to me commentate, I potentially bring it up a few times, is that these like giant events like World uh, Ultimate Guts Championship or World Ultimate Club Championships, they're bringing hundreds of teams from across the world to one place. Um, and the logistics of that is insane like if you talk to any of the like Cy for example for London or any other TDs from uh, Cincinnati and Lecco for example for example you know you you have to not only do you have to provide accommodation food first aid you've got all the insurance stuff finding a venue for these for these teams Mm -hmm. is absolutely absurd and then throw into the mix that every time in the last for the last whatever it is you know 10 years all these events have been interrupted by major weather events which have like either meant that you know people that are paying all this money to go there have had to not play for a day or a couple of days or they've had to like cut down the tournament immediately and move it to other venues is it's just crazy right yeah. so put on top of put put on top of that that like you're bring you're playing you're bringing all these teams together and at the top you've got like the US right they they dominate this our sport essentially playing you know early on in the tournament they're play they're gonna have to play some like more developmental nations that are just like who learns anything from those games probably the people that lose those games learn the most but like it's just is they get to play these sort of games. does it help their country get any better ultimate maybe not what I'd, what i think might be better is something more localized like the world cup does where within your area, so say Europe or Asia or North America, South America, etc., you work your way up in some sort of local league and then you get to a you know a final which is a top sixteen or a top thirty two that the the elite elite could play at. Now yeah it's maybe an elitist view you could argue, but at least those games are like highly, you know, highly competitive, much more televisable uh, as an overall tournament. Therefore you can sell the game better you can actually, you know, attract people to come watch it more, and those lower ta- those teams that don't maybe make it can aim for that and be like, look, like this is the pinnacle of our sport, and they will, you know, they iteratively get there. And we, and even in the like the World Cup, both football and rugby, we still see these development nations coming up and striking their way through. And a good example of that is actually like Japan in the Rugby World Cup, who two iterations ago you would have said, you know, they're not going to do very well, and now they're challenging South South Africa on a regular basis. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, the thought that you could cut down on the number of people, number of teams going to tournaments and make it more of a level playing field. Although, obviously, as you say, it's a level playing field with teams like America and Canada and Japan, who are still going to be better than the 16th mm. best team in the world by a fair distance. But it's not a heat against a team that's the you know, 45th best team in the world. 
where there's going to be an absolute gulf in class. A lot of it, a lot of the arguments against it would be it's giving something for people to aim for in those development countries. You can go and play against the USA. That gets people motivated. That gets people into it. And it's also just the um, people aren't going to like not having opportunities to play teams like the USA and Canada. Plenty of people that I know gone to Worlds and been like, oh yeah, we're playing a Japanese team or an American team. And that in itself pretty much makes the experience, right? That's the that's mm. half the thing. It's not necessarily about how well you do. It's that you got to play a cool team. But I, I certainly see the merits of what you're saying. And your point about it being more televisable, I think, is probably one that is going to become bigger as we progress through the development years of the sport. Yeah, and then the other the other half of it is the organisational part, right? It's much easier to find a venue to hurt, to house you know sixteen or thirty two teams over a you know a week or so versus a you know hundred plus venue. There are not there are li- there are so few venues across the world that can that can actually do the world events at the scale that we're talking about doing them right now. And the, it's only going to get bigger, right, with more teams, with more countries um, taking part. And I definitely see the point around like it's. It's the half of the experience, but as I, I mean, I, I went to Worlds last, well, last year, two years ago, in Cincinnati, and we played one American team in the pools, and then played all European teams. I think, oh no, okay, one South African team, but the rest were all European teams who we could just play at home. It wasn't like the most enjoyable experience that I could, that I think, we could have had. And yeah, maybe we should have won the games that we should have, that we should have to maybe get us to play those other teams. But like, I don't, I couldn't say that we definitely had the best time we should have. Fair enough. And I think the other, I suppose, the thing about providing these opportunities for people to play and giving these cool teams to play against, even if, like you say, sometimes the schedule works out in a way where you don't actually get to play many of them, it all falls back into spirit of the game, I suppose, and how you interpret spirit of the game. But yeah, it's an interesting thought, and I definitely think it's one that it wouldn't surprise me if Woodduff, UKU, EUC, people like that were thinking about it. I would say, like, two more points around it is that, like, one on a personal level, like, as a player, Think about how the season goes, like the, the high level season goes, like say we were playing Worlds next year, you've got all that like qualifier years before and then straight after you come out of a World Club year, you've got to go straight into, potentially into a qualification for Nations yeah. and it's like, it's just never ending and like put into the, also put into that your normal domestic season and your normal European, in our case, European season, you know, there's a lot of ultimate in there and, and we've seen so many GB players you know, generally just burn out because they've done like three, four, maybe five or six iterations of this and they're just they're ruined. Like they, they mentally and physically don't want to do it anymore. And is that sort of the the sport that we want to, to be outwardly showing? Like, do, don't we want those players to be like, you know, they do, they get to the pinnacle and then they go like, right, I'd like, what do you want them to do is go like, I want to coach or I want to give back to the sport. And we, we see that a lot less now because players are just like, no, I want to, break i want to go do triathlon or, you know i want to go cycle i just want to spend time with my family and not have to invest so much time and effort i think that's the other one part of it the other is that more and more with this like pandemic you know world we're going to have to be more localized and having a structure that lends itself to national then european or continental ultimate and then maybe eventually elite level you don't want there to be too much travel on those on those like international points because it won't it just won't be possible from a logistical point of view. So that's the other consideration as well, really. And that's a federation consideration. Yeah. It would not surprise me at all to see people look at this and more yeah. and more people to have the same kind of thoughts that you're having here. So I think this is probably not the last we've heard of, of these ideas generally, to be honest with you. Um, the thing I'm, I 
want to talk about, which I suppose is slightly lessened uh, than it was if we had done this podcast a month ago, um, now that people have been playing again, but it's more the the risk of people being injured more frequently, having not played for so long. As we said earlier, you haven't played since February. I hadn't played mm. since March before Saturday, and we did uh, a much longer warm-up than we would usually do for... There wasn't really that much running at training, and training was shorter than it usually would be. But we did a longer warm-up because the soft the potential for soft tissue injuries is sky high at the moment hamstrings groins quads it's general lower lower limb soft tissue injuries no one's going to be ready for frisbee you talked about how much we play you have a season that runs from trial season in december or january all the way through to august you have maybe a month or two off and then you're just back into pickup sessions in september october so the amount that people play in normal times you're playing 10 out of the 12 months of the season of the year, really, aren't you? And now all of us have had an enforced six-plus months off, and everyone's bodies are just not going to be ready for Frisbee. It seems at the moment as though people are being sensible, not pushing themselves too far, not pushing themselves too hard, and not throwing themselves in at 100%, which is definitely the right thing to do. But even as we move into this new time with the restrictions changing, becoming harder... Obviously, there's going to be people listening to this who live in the northwest, the northeast, in Scotland, where there are more stringent restrictions in place than what we have in London at the moment. Who knows how how more stringent it's going to get across the rest of the country. There might be another enforced break. And I think the one thing for team leaders particularly to really bear in mind is going back into it, you need to hold people back. It needs to be really, really baby steps because a lot of Prisby players are idiots. And I would certainly put myself... <laughs> I certainly put myself in that bracket because I know I played plenty of games where I was injured and I shouldn't really have been playing. But it was like, well, here now, I'll play one more game and then I'll be able to take a week off. And then you don't really take a week off and you keep pushing it throughout the season and you make it worse and you're like, I'll do rehab in the off season and then you don't do the rehab and then it's a problem for longer. So plenty of people don't look after themselves as they should. And I think there is a more of a risk given the time we're in. Uh, so be careful. Yeah, and I think you're right around the like leadership thing. Like it's actually something that we at Sick discussed quite heavily. We were like, we don't want to rush into like three hour sessions on the weekend and uh, having like full team scrimmage. Like so, we immediately cut that in half. We were like, okay, we'll just do an hour and a half. And the first half of our session focuses entirely on conditioning to make sure that everyone is warm, but also that they're starting to train their body. The right whether they should have been doing anyway when they were you know when you first started playing uh, but at least so that we don't get that you know that all those injuries and i think an element of it is like deep space we're talking about this a lot and i'm sure you know all, a lot of other teams have been talking about running some sort of like fitness at home whilst we can like we've all worked out using zoom and hangouts and stuff to, to you know help us do training still why not you know, use the winter to run these more fitness sessions so that when and if we do get to training, we can limit the number of injuries that, that are going to come. But you're right, like Frisbee players are the worst at doing enough gym work or doing enough preparation. They just want to throw Frisbees and run around, really. And even with the gym work, I mean, I've, I've been going back to the gym over the last couple of weeks now, it's allowed, and lifting nowhere near as much as I used to be able to lift, and my shoulders are absolutely killing me and you can really tell that stuff goes away quickly so yeah as we said just uh, be sensible everyone all right so final section of the podcast um as i've done with sai and fauzia now i'll do with you and with myself 
best line. So um, I'll be picking a mixed line since I am predominantly a mixed player. That'll be four male players and four female players. You'll be picking an open line since you've mm -hmm. played more open in your career. You go first. Who is on your best open line? Again, okay. just, to re just to remind people, DP cannot pick himself. He is a coach on the sideline. And yeah. the point, maybe it's an O point, maybe it's a D point. Who are you picking? Seven players. DP, over to you. Yeah, so like Sean says, I'm picking an open team and I, I've been very lucky in my career to play for some uh, very good teams, uh, both here but also abroad in France. So I tried to like pick a few players from, from all those teams. Um, so my first two picks are from um, the French team I played for, it's no good, in Noisy-le-Sec. And uh, these two are both also French national players. So the first one is um, Eric Becker who's the coach and um, one of the captains, an incredible uh, handler, but also like super fit and like able to, if you need him to get a block, he's going to get it back for you, especially if he's the one who's um, caused the turnover. So that's my first pick. And then the second one is uh, Frederick Bredard, who's an absolute machine, like he's six foot something, predominantly a defender, but always on, on like a universe point. So, so good. And he's a lefty as well. So he's like, gives you that little edge. Then moving back to UK players, I obviously played a predominantly large part of my career with Fire of London. Um, so my next two players are from, from that, that team. So uh, James Barron is my third pick as a classic sort of fire handler. Again, really good on defence and was actually a D-line handler for a long time whilst I was there. But also like really, really helped me like learn my role at fire in various ways. But um you got he's kind of like a bit like Marmite. You either love or you hate Baron, really. Then my fourth pick is Alex Cragg, the long-term fire captain and my captain for a long time, especially during the the world's uh, qualification uh, attempts. Uh, he then went on to to Clapham in the last few years. Really great uh, receiver, so quick and really good in the air. And actually, part of a very interesting uh, uh, Felix video around uh, when he played for GB, whether he got fouled or not by a German player in the final. He did, by the way. Um, <laughs> then I'll do I'll do the one uh, this way around. So my oh, one, two, three, four, five, one of my picks. Uh, my next pick is Magnus Wilson. Uh, I played with him when I was on Two Team Tigers way back when. But obviously, many of you will know him as a, a Clapham player, him and his brother. He's, again, a really great receiver, really tall, a lefty. Uh, and now at, through all his like injury woes of the past, so he's like really, really in shape, or at least he was. Um, and then my penultimate pick is, um, uh, whilst on Tooting Tigers, I, we went to Windmill, and we needed some pickups, so we asked for some pickups, and these couple of Americans came and joined us. Uh, one was Matt Malius, and the other was Timmy Purston, who are from Rhino. If you've ever seen the... Um, um, chasing Sarasota film, they're like core core players of the Rhino of that of that era, and my pick is actually Timmy, because he's absolutely incredible, but also mental. He was so much fun. He was always having a laugh, but as I say, like really really good. Made loads of mistakes, but like just so so good. If you ever watch Ch Chasing Sarasota, he's the one with the orange hat on, and he's just absolutely incredible. If anything's been thrown in his area, he's just getting it somehow. And my last pick is a bit of a, a rogue pick, I would say, uh, considering we have to score the point. It's Matt Parslow. I did play with him for a little bit on fire, and many of you will know him on GB and 
um, Clapham and also a world's games player. Uh, but we always had a joke with him, like after he'd left fire that like we could always slip him a fiver and he'd have a turnover because he always like had a turnover and his, but he's an incredible, incredible uh, thrower and very, very ingenious way of like breaking marks and getting the disc into places that you wouldn't always uh, expect it. So yeah, that's my, my seven. Good seven. Um, I did research who Timmy Purston was because I hadn't heard of him and he made some unbelievable catches in the videos that I watched. So he seemed yeah. like a good pick. Yeah, if you, I think there's a really cool video of either Rhino or like, it's like a season in the elite American thing and there's an incredible grab of like this hammer that's just going out of nowhere and then just Timmy just comes out of nowhere and you just see his orange hat going under the disc and it's just like, where did he come from? So I'll go with my mixed team. Um, so I'll start with... I'll start with the women. So I played with all of these women in mixed, obviously, um, some of them more than others. So my first pick is Grainne McCarthy, who most people may now may know from Icenian, uh, her part in the European Championship Wing Island team. Um, she played on Thundering Her the first year that I played for the team. And she's really, really good, not only as a handler, but defensively in the air, she's a, a, a absolute force. And um, yeah, she's a, really fun as well so she'd be the first pick there um second pick is uh, mara neil who played for a couple of years with her and is just just brilliant she's really really good at at this with mara would generally stay out of the space around her so she can beat her mark and do something cool uh, and it worked really well so and there was a one particular time that really stuck out in my memory of someone throwing a frisbee to her that shouldn't have gone they hadn't seen it. There was a deep poach, Mara going deep against a, a Chevron player, and the Chevron player got the D, but it was extremely close to the point where, as they were walking off, the Chevron player looked up to the sideline and gave a real like nervous look. Yeah, it was, she's she's fantastic, brilliant athlete, brilliant thrower. Um, really enjoyed playing with her. Like she could play any mm. team in the world and make an impact, as she did in the U.S. Open when she went with Icini. Like, didn't matter who was marking her, she was able to get open and make a play. Uh, number three is long-time Iceni player and sometime herd player, Karina Cooper. Uh, Coop is a brilliant handler and uh, one of the more fun people that I've been around in Frisbee. Uh, she's lovely. She's really, really good at Frisbee. And if she's playing, that means um, Adam would come up on the sideline as well, so that's another bonus. So Coop is uh, an absolute shoe-in. And then for the fourth pick... I'm picking Sarah Harrison, um, Dutch national team player who you and I uh, encountered as a beginner at Sheffield Uni. So we've known her for her entire frisbee playing career, and she's yeah she's done really well in becoming an absolutely excellent player. Really good defensively, really solid offensively. And if this was a, a line that's playing on the beach, I think she'd, she'd be even better. She's one of the best beach players I've played with. So that's the four women and the four men, uh, all of. The first three um, I played with in open and one I played mixed. So the first three are all emo players. Rich Gale was the captain of the World Games team that went to Colombia. Uh, not softly spoken, but very um, straight-laced. Didn't really talk too much. Didn't really get involved in that much that much um, banter or trash talk or anything, but just a really, really good player. Really solid, fast, can jump, can throw, pretty much no weaknesses. He's a really useful players I have because he can fit in anywhere and do anything you would need him to do and just a lovely guy so he's he's pick number one pick number two is Daniel Fernell Fernell if you watch the 
Japan final, Colonel, everyone calls him. Colonel's the best player that I played with, I think. Brilliant handler. Played for Emo for years, played for Clapham, played for GB. He was a centre handler in that team that won silver in Japan. He's a, a shoe-in as well. Third pick is more of a slightly rogue pick. I'm picking Joe Winder. Um, most people know now, plays for Chevron, played for GB Mixed. I played with him at Emo. Um, he's really funny. He can throw it an absolute mile. And uh, if if you can get him fit and get him rearing, I think he's one of the best handlers in the country. So uh, I'm a big Joe Winder fan. He definitely makes my team. And then the fourth pick uh, is a player that I played with at Windmill as well. You've got one and I've got one. Um, I went and played with the Estonian national team. And their captain, their talisman, was Christian Loritz. He was, at that time, this was seven or eight years ago now, he was a really, really good player. And uh, he asked me whether he could, you know, what whether I thought he could play in the UK. And I was like, yeah, I think you could probably play in the UK and you know, make <coughs> one, of the, one of the better teams in the UK. And then about a year later, he went and made ring in America. So he was, <laughs> my eye talent at that point wasn't that good, clearly. Um, but he plays several years for Ring. Now he plays for the Danish national team, I think. I think he's moved to Denmark. Uh, he's brilliant. And he's tall, which helps because my other three players aren't that tall. So that's my mix line. Nice. Big, yeah. Uh, big props for uh, Rich Gale and uh, Mara. Like, I, I remember playing against Rich and it just being both terrifying but also a nice experience because, like, you could say he's like such a nice guy to talk to, but he's so hard to mark. And then, like, yeah, I've coached Mara for a season, and she's, like you say, almost unstoppable. You can just put her anywhere, and she'll she'll do something. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's the podcast. Anything to add? No, I don't think so. Well, thanks for doing it. I mean, we never uh, we never really push much content, but this has been really really nice to see, and I hope everyone's been enjoying it, especially with uh, less ultimate happening. Yeah, I mean, now that I've. Uh... I'm not moving house anymore. Hopefully we can do a few more of these. We've got a few ideas, a few things lined up. So hopefully you'll be hearing more from us soon. But for this edition, that's it. Thanks for listening and see you soon.